Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. <sighs> and welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking the original slasher comedy. We're talking Kristen Ritter. No, not that Kristen Ritter. And we're talking, I can't help it, horror parodies get me hot. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And everyone, the producers of this podcast have asked me to take this opportunity to say, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> well, now we just got an R rating. So, uh, more so than this movie should have gotten. We are talking student bodies, everybody. A movie that has one fuck in it that got uh-huh. it the R rating because PG-13 didn't exist yet. <laughs> and also because our ratings sell better, so you, know, you gotta get that rating in there, baby. That is the first time I've ever heard that. Maybe that was a thing in the 70s and 80s with the slasher boom, where it was like, oh yeah, R-rated movies make more money. I'm willing to bet yes, because it was like hardcore, right? Yes. I mean, this movie is not hardcore. This movie is no. a <laughs> is a PG-rated movie. <laughs> oh my god. This is delightful. I was so hoping that it was going to be a Naked Gun-style parody, and I was pretty happy to find out it kind of is. It very much is. And I think, I mean, so everyone, if you haven't seen Student Bodies, of course, it is a parody film that came out in 1981. And so, mm-hmm. it, it, like, you know, we had Halloween and and it took about two years for things to like really like catch on because people were like, oh, Halloween made money. Let's make all these movies in 79 and release them in 1980. And of course, we have like a bajillion slashers that come out. Oh my gosh, so many. Yeah, 80 uh, and, and 81, the apex of the slasher boom. 100%. But then you also have a movie like Airplane that comes out a year before this movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, I mean, Airplane is obviously a perfect film. Oh, so good. Student Bodies is not. But I, I was worried walking into it. I was like, you know, you never know how humor from like different decades is going to age. Like what oh, was sure. funny back then might not be funny today. Airplane is a rare, rare case because it's universally funny and timeless. Uh, this movie... <laughs> It's not as funny as Airplane, but there are still a lot of laugh out loud moments that I had, mainly in the first half of the film. Yes, the first half is demonstrably better than the back half, and I have theories as to why that is. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, so wait, this is your first time watching this, right? It is, yes. Uh, Shout out to Kill by Kill for bringing this one to my attention. They covered it. It sounded very funny. And I figured if their sense of humor so closely matches ours, that we would probably have a good time with it. That's so funny. So um, my husband actually watched this for the first time, I want to say a year ago. It was part of our our movie marathon that we have with friends. And I had gotten way too drunk and I went to bed. And (laughs) (laughs) while I went to bed, though, uh, they all put on student bodies. And the next day, I just kept hearing them joke about chicken lips. And I was like, well, I'm... (laughs) really missing this joke (laughs) that's a good joke too oh it's so funny yes i i I thought you were talking through a rubber chicken (laughs) did you just hang up i thought i heard click no No, i just just clicked (laughs) (laughs) oh i'll get it because i'm the furthest away from the phone that makes sense (laughs) 
(laughs) This is the kind of humor that just absolutely slays me. It's so stupid, but smart stupid. It really is. And I'm I'm not excited, but I'm intrigued to talk about the back half of the film and why it doesn't work as well as the first half. But Mm -hmm. before we get into this, let's talk about, I guess, why this film exists. So obviously, yes, it, it is parodying kind of specific slasher films, but more so just horror in general. Like, compared to something like Scary Movie 2, which we did a couple months back, like, you know, that takes flat-out, like, scenes from popular Mm -hmm. horror films and just redoes them. This one doesn't do that. It seems more interested in taking down tropes. I'm sorry, not even taking down, just making fun of them a little bit. Like, I... The the parody here is very good-natured compared to what you would see in something like the Scary Movie franchise. Well, yes, and that's actually because I would argue that Scary Movie in particular doesn't adhere to, like, parody conventions. Uh, Mm. Typically, you are being a little bit kind. You're just saying, oh, we're so used to this at this point that it's almost become a cliche, so now I can make fun of it. And I'll have more to say about this in a little bit. Okay, well, I'll do my part first then. So (laughs) Yes, do your part first. (laughs) No, there's actually a surprising amount of information about this film. I was Because the Blu-ray that I borrowed from my friend, A, is it comes in a double feature with some horror comedy Jekyll and Hyde movie. Um, with Bess Armstrong, but okay. it is bare bones. It is literally play movie and scene selection. There are no subtitles. Nice. There is no like audio options. Like it no is trailer. just yeah, Nothing. play and scene selection. <laughs> but uh, so the glory days of DVD releases, one hundred percent. So Student Bodies was produced during the nineteen eighty one Writers Guild of America strike, and you know if anyone was alive in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, you might remember that writers strike, which I think was coming around because uh. Because of streaming services. Mm-hmm. Because writers were like, oh, like my work is on streaming services. I want paid for that. Um, this one was similar. So this 1981 strike was a three-month strike action taken to establish compensation in the then new markets of pay TV and home video. So okay. because we were having VHSs and because HBO, like channels like HBO were becoming a thing, mm-hmm. they, writers were like, um, pay us. For that. Yeah, because it's residuals. We want money for the work if you're going to continue to profit off of it by showing it in perpetuity. Yes. So the talks broke down over an inability to reach an agreement over payment for programs intended primarily for uh, the lucrative pay television, video disc, and cassette markets. I love that cassette, too. Uh, oh, God. Yes. How often do you say cassette anymore? Uh, not so often. Yeah. This was the third strike over this issue, though, because there were two long strikes the year before in 1980 by actors and studio musicians over this. Okay, see, so what happened is they found out that they could get money because the other two guilds had proven it. Which, is that like the trend, right? Like actors and musicians do it and then the writers are finally like, okay, cool, we can do it now. I mean, the musicians is the odd man out. But yes, absolutely, the acting, the writing and the directing do tend to follow suit with one another. Yeah, well, and so like our beloved writer strike from 07-08, most scripted television (laughs) series started much later than originally planned as a result of this strike because they couldn't have anyone writing. Well, not union, yeah. Not union. So yeah, so basically Paramount produced student bodies because they basically they needed something to release Mm -hmm. during the lull that comes from films not being shot during a strike. I mean, and there's just a gap there. So they came to Texas, where this was filmed, Rude. because Texas is a right-to-work state, not completely governed by union rules. <laughs> what is it, the Wild Wild West? Yeah, I don't know. But it's funny, and I had no idea this was a thing. 
This movie was filmed no less than 20 minutes away from the house I grew up in in Richmond, Texas. Wow. You could have been an extra if only you had been born like a decade and a half earlier. <laughs> exactly. If I was born in the late 60s, or I guess the early 60s. Yeah. So for the film's football stadium and exterior shots, like it was uh, it, for anyone here who knows me or grew up in Houston, uh, it was filmed at Lamar Consolidated Junior High School in Richmond, Texas. That's why the school in the film is called Lamab. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. I was trying to figure out if it was a joke I just wasn't getting. Nope. It's just they changed Lamar to Lamab. <laughs> Fair enough. It's easy to get rid of an R. Um, and then they also use James E. Taylor High School in Katy, Texas, uh, which again, Katy's like 10 minutes away from where I live growing up. Oh, oh my God, you've been touched by greatness. Oh, yeah, by this film. Well, also, the parade scene was filmed in downtown Houston on Main Street. So again, if anyone lives in Houston proper, go to Main Street and watch this movie. <laughs> Uh, I think you mean the big parade, by the way. It's not just any parade. It's the best parade happening on that street that day. Um, I was really focused on the eggplant in that scene, actually. <laughs> of course he would. Eggplant! No! <laughs> My notes are just like, I have questions about the eggplant. Because <laughs> uh, no. the eggplant is undamaged after, so it's not like they beat them to death with it. <laughs> How did they die? How does an eggplant kill someone? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so anyway, but there is a bit of drama, though, because of this writer's strike. So the credited writer-director for the film is Mickey Rose. And I don't, this kept po- po- coming up in my research of him, but he is a lifelong friend of Woody Allen <laughs> and mm. a reliable supplier of one-liners for talk shows and variety shows from the late 60s and early 70s. That being mm. said, though, Rose was apparently part of a creative team on this film that included director Michael Ritchie. And Michael Ritchie may not sound familiar for some people, but he is known for directing the original Bad News Bears uh, and yes. Fletch with uh, Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. And for my 90s babies, A Simple Wish with Martin Short, Kathleen Turner, and Mara Wilson. No, but sure. Oh my god, it's not good. I mean, I'm sure it's not good, but it's... It's a, it's a movie. <laughs> okay. Did you watch it in syndication on pay for television? Oh, no. I saw the shit in theaters. It's about a, a, Martin Schwartz, a fairy godmother who is, like, really bad at his job, and Kathleen oh, Turner's God. a villain. It's, yeah, it's... Okay. okay. <laughs> There's no I mean, way I, it's good. I can picture everything. You don't even need to say anymore. I got the whole movie just from that. <laughs> totally fine. So, anyway, so, yeah. The creative team involves Rose, this guy, Michael Ritchie, and writer Jerry Belson. Uh, Belson uh, was partners with Ritchie for a movie he made called Smile. He wrote a lot of episodes of D- The Dick Van Dyke show and the odd couple but right there's a lot of issue here because again when we're talking with credits i mean i, I don't i'm not gonna pretend to know i know how this is done you know because there's script rewrites there's things that happen all the time and mm-hmm. who gets the credit blah 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 right so there's some rumors about richie's involvement with this film so some say that richie was placed on set as an overseeing producer to guide rose should he need it because i guess rose maybe wasn't the most established film director and writer Okay. Others say that Richie was actually the co-director and writer and had to take the Alan Smithy producer's credit due to the writer's strike. Because there is an Alan Smithy credit on this, and it is solely for produced by Alan Smithy. <laughs> right. And folks, if you need a refresher on Alan Smithy, go back and listen to my birthday episode on Hellraiser Bloodline, because we walk you through it. 100%. The other um, rumor is that, yeah, others maintain that he took the credit to distance himself from the product. Uh from sorry right. from the project so it's either he had to he wanted to or 
I, he wasn't as involved as people said that said he was. <laughs> but okay, so we don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No one knows for sure. But that being said, Rose, again the credited writer and director, was also a WGA member and received full credit. So this would seem to debunk the union issue. It honestly might be a thing where where Richie was like, "This movie, I don't want my name on this movie." <laughs> right. <laughs> So, and the funny thing is, according to the people that were involved in the production, Student Bodies plays more like something that Rose made than the work of Richie and Belson. But according to other cast members, Richie did most of the directing. So this is like a Hooper Spielberg poltergeist situation we're working with. Right. Nobody really knows. It kind of could fall any which way. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with the cast, I mean, we got a cast of true unknowns here. Most of them, including, uh, so I, I kept calling a Kristen Ritter too, but there's only one T there. So I'm like, is it writer or is it Ritter? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's probably writer, but it's more fun to call her Kristen Ritter. A hundred percent. But many of the people here have never made another feature film. Although Ritter, writer, did appear in a Jay Giles band music video for Centerfold. Jake Giles band is the band. Well, I mean, I'm sure people know them, but I only know them because they sang the Fright Night theme. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, yeah, this movie was like Paramount's like, cool, we are in a writer's strike. We can't make shit. Let's go make something that's not union with a bunch of nobodies. And that's what they did. So (laughs) this was one of a group of films directed towards teenage audiences in the late 70s and early 80s. Uh, Student Bodies grossed $5.2 million at the box office after opening... Uh, in August of 1981, uh, of course, released by Paramount Pictures. It wasn't really a huge hit. Also, it was up against a lot of other movies. Like, when Student Bodies was released, we were looking at Raiders of the Lost Ark and Superman Ooh. 2 all in theaters at the same time. Oh, my God. To go to the movies that weekend. <laughs> I mean, but again, this is the first weekend for Student Bodies, which it opened at number 13, by the way, with $1.5 million. I, I think Raiders was, like, in its 14th week of release, and it was the mm. number one movie. <laughs> well, movies had legs back then. I mean, even if you think about obviously that's not a huge gross and even when you mm-hmm. think about okay, well 5 million isn't terrible because this movie probably costs pennies. Yeah. I mean, if it debuted to what was it 1.5? So, to get up to 5, that means it actually grossed nearly four times its production budget. So, it sounds like shit, but it's actually not bad. Well, and so it it wasn't a huge success just based on the money, but this movie became a huge hit on TV services throughout the 80s. So basically, it became a late-night cult favorite on cable afterwards. Uh, This is mostly due to the fact, though, that the film, as we mentioned before, is basically a PG movie, with the exception of the one R-rated scene. So it required little to no editing to put on TV. So it was easy just to put on for all these people that were like, well, we got to put some shit on. Let's do student bodies. (laughs) I mean, you could literally bleep the word, or you could cut out the 20 seconds, and the rest is fine. Exactly. And if you haven't seen this movie, everybody, there's literally a scene about... 30 minutes into the movie where some guy (laughs) just Mm -hmm. tells the audience to go fuck themselves uh, to get the R rating. Like it's breaking the fourth wall. We see the R rating pop up on screen. It's quite clever. Like so many things in this movie. Yeah. Well, so let's go back to the past, though. Further to the past, I guess. We're already in the 80s. But student bodies appeared frequently on the Rhonda Shear-hosted USA Up All Night, um, as well as the network's USA Saturday Nightmares double feature series. Which, by the way, that is some Gilbert Gottfried uh, erasure, because they Shear co-hosted with Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) (laughs) Do we not like him? Maybe that's the case. Uh, He made that China joke way back when, when he got fired from Aflac, but now he's, like, doing stuff. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that doesn't mean we should forgive him. I, I don't remember. The, I, I think it was like after. I, oh, you know what? It was after the tsunami, I think. 
Oh, poor. Yeah, it, it was a uh, it was a not the no. right time joke. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway, move on. so move on. I wanted to briefly say what USA Up All Night was because I did not know what this was. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Yep. Well, in that case, educate the listeners. So USA Up All Night is a bit before my time, uh, but what it is, it's an American cable television series that aired weekly on Friday and Saturday nights on the USA Network. Ah, <gasps> yeah. It started in 89. Oh, actually, so that's the thing. So it started in 89. So student bodies, like, really didn't become a hit until, like, the 90s. Yeah. Um, so it aired from 89 to 98. Uh, it garnered a shockingly eclectic library of movies that were video store fodder back in their day. Mm-hmm. Taken out of context of its time, Up All Night showed films that, to this day, have never been on DVD or Blu-ray. It aired so many really good and unusual movies that ranged from horror, science fiction, and schlocky monster pictures, to comedies, to trashy exploitation. You know, you had films like Fright Night 2, Shocker, yes. um, which are more well-known, but then you also have things like Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town, <laughs> Dr. Alien, Evil Tunes, Hamburger the Motion Picture, Galaxina, and the Bikini Car Wash Company Trilogy. <laughs> Oh, not just the first one, but the whole trilogy. Yes, I know, right? Really need that. Um, I'm sorry, that sounded really shitty. Uh, (laughs) Yes, I want to see that. So while some people may be saying, oh, that really sounds a lot like Monster Vision with Joe Bob Briggs, um, which... To be fair, it does, except Joe Bob started airing in 91, two years after USA Up All Night. The difference here is that Joe Bob is like a genre enthusiast, and he knew the films he was talking about, and he was having fun with it. With Sheer and Gottfried, they had no knowledge of the movies they were hosting. (laughs) So this might have bothered some horror fans, but others appreciated it more as a show that introduced them to new and unusual genre fare that you would normally have to scour the video store to find. So right. I don't know. I think that's kind of fun. I mean, it's the equivalent of what podcasts are today, right? Where it's like, oh, friend that loves horror shows, friend that hates horror, horror movie, and they talk about it, right? Oh, God. Yeah. Not my favorite (laughs) type of horror movie podcast, but uh, yeah, must be doing well because they keep popping up. I think I think it really works. Those work better for people that don't like horror movies. I think if you do yeah. like horror movies, it's a bit like Child's Play. Yeah, and not the movie Child's Play. No, like. no, no, literal Child's Play. <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay, so yeah, this comes out. Um, at the time, critical reception was probably not great. Yeah. So okay, yeah, New York Times calls it a real disappointment. Um, it just slowly topples <laughs> wow. over as you watch it, like a stand-up comedian in the act of failing. <laughs> uh, harsh, but not entirely untrue. Correct. Variety said the jokes became depressingly repetitive. Uh, Unfortunately, once you've seen the trailer, which is really long and does feature a lot of good gags. Oh, yeah. Don't watch the trailer, folks, if you haven't watched this already. Exactly. Uh, Gene Siskel at the Chicago Tribune gave it two stars out of four, said that it it exposes all its comic tricks in the first reel, suggesting that the genre itself is not all that deep and there may be less to parody than one might think, which, of course, say that, (laughs) of course, Siskel's like, oh, yeah, the parody can't even make it work. Horror is bad. I mean, it. yeah, yeah, Um, (laughs) we'll get to it. Um, Los Angeles Times says there's funny moments, but it's definitely not another airplane. Washington Post says it frequently misfires uh, and occasionally keeps firing away on empty satiric chambers, but it's a likably sarcastic and knowing assault on the cliches of horror movies. And then, uh, yeah, so I mean, that's the thing, though, right? Like, how do you how do you review a parody, Joe? Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, really, you have to approach this as a comedy and not at all a horror film. So for sure, you basically just have to say, is this movie funny? But the problem is, is you really have to know two different genres to appreciate it. I think, too, what's fascinating to me, I mean, I think we touched on it at the top, but I think 
again, this is pre-internet. Like, you can't go be Googling things. You can't be streaming movies. Like, mm-hmm. the <laughs> the work that had to go into making this to make all these references. I mean, it, we, we open with a Jamie Lee Curtis's birthday gag. Like, yeah. I just, I mean, there's so many things in this movie that I think are clever. If only, and I'm, I, I think I'm just impressed by them because i'm just like oh like they had to go like to the movies or video uh, the early days of video stores to watch this shit and figure it out Mm -hmm. yeah they had to do their homework and like really take detailed notes to get the jokes right yeah (laughs) whereas today we're just lazy fucks oh sure yeah everything at our fingertips man yeah so it's interesting that you say that they would have had to have done all of this homework because I'm most fascinated by the fact that this film comes out in 1981, which is, as we mentioned, really the height of the slasher boom. And as we were approaching doing this film, it reminded me, Trace, that we've never really introduced any kind of talk about what a genre is. Like we take it for granted that people know what a horror film is and even something like a subgenre which is a slasher film, which is what we're talking about today. Yes. Yeah, so I went and did a little uh, film study school homework, and we're going to give folks a crash lesson in what genre theory is. Also me, because I don't know what you just said. (laughs) You do. Here's the thing. It's a bunch of fancy words, but then when we talk about them, we're all going to know exactly what I'm talking about. See, if academic people just wrote normal, it'd be fine. (laughs) Yes, indeed. As much as I love a good $20 word, sometimes a $1 word will do. All right, hit me. Not really. Not really. So genre is defined at its base. Work with me. Work with me. There's two things that define a genre. One is iconography, and this is visual images and symbols. So if I show you a picture of a man riding a horse with a tall hat on, you're going to know what genre. There we go. Oh my god. Yay, I win. There you go. And the other element is conventions or tropes. And those are topics, characters, or events that we're familiar with. So if I say, picture a woman on a phone running around as a man with a knife chases her. Oh my god, it's a horror movie slasher. There you go. Ah. Yeah. Okay, so genres tend to be, and and this is fun when we get to horror because we talk so frequently about gatekeeping and people being real asshats like, oh, that Ari Aster film is not a horror film because it takes place in the daylight or, (laughs) you know, Silence of the Lambs is a thriller, not a horror, blah, blah, bullshit. (sighs) So if we think of classically defined genres, they typically fall into really fucking big categories like action comedy drama fantasy horror mystery romance and then yeah they say thriller and i'm like well thriller and horror the same thing Uh, that's when we talk about it's funny right like we call it the genre umbrella like it's it's genre but like you know i love how like calling something genre specifically relates to like that horror thriller suspense category Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't have anything more to add to that okay okay that's fine I guess my issue with these is that the umbrella is too big. It becomes unmanageable. Like if I say action film and you say, oh, yeah, people get killed. It's like, okay, well, maybe now you're talking about a horror film or a thriller. I mean, look, look, this is I'm just I just pulled this out of my ass. But look at Steven Summers' 1999 film, The Mummy. That is a Mm -hmm. remake of a horror film. There are horrific elements, but even today it's considered more of an action film. Yeah, or even a fantasy, because it takes place in a kind of alternative, like, retro-pastiche Egyptian world. Or a romance, because it's also about Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser hooking up. 
There you go. So, and therein lies the problem with a lot of genres is that they're so open to interpretation, even though we have an almost agreed upon set of iconographies and conventions, that they're very fluid. And as a result, then people like to argue. <laughs> the The benefit for things like studios and then by proxy audiences is that they're way easier to sell because people know what you're trying to communicate. So it's like when we complain about marketing, the reason that they know exactly what to show us, even if it's often too much, is because they're like, this will get the horror fans into the seats. All we got to do is show a mask, a knife, a girl, any of those things. And it's like, oh, we know what movie they're trying to sell us. And as a result, we're there. But that's why, though, movies like Hereditary or The Witch that are marketed as straightforward, like, quote unquote, typical horror films, Mm -hmm. a lot of people retaliate because they're like, that's not the horror that I want. That's boring. Yes, you didn't meet my expectations. And genres are defined by the expectations of their audiences. So, like, it only works if we recognize that category. Okay. 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 So problematizing this they also go through cycles so i realize i've said this for now three years and i've never bothered to explain it but every time we talk about slasher movies i've often been like oh this is in the first cycle of slasher films or it's in the second cycle so the first cycle is the late 70s through the mid 80s which is the period we're talking about today with student bodies Mm -hmm. but then the second cycle is with scream and the other films that go into the aughts and The cycles are interesting because they focus obviously on like repetition or rebirth, but they're also reflective of different stages. So genres go through stages as they become fixed and affirmed in people's minds. And let me explain, because I realize I'm talking like, what is this mean? Well, no, you're right. I mean, I'm just thinking about the slasher, you know, like, so like, like the first wave of slashers is is very standard. It's defining the rules, right? Yes. The the tropes, it's creating all this, building off of basic kind of what Black Christmas and Halloween set up, which of course then Friday the 13th, like cemented in stone. Fantastic. Yeah. So you're already doing the work for me. So the the first of the four stages, and there's wiggle room here. So people might be like, "Uh, this doesn't follow Christian Metz's definition of the four stages of (laughs) genre conventions. Work with me. This is the way that I was taught it. Uh, You can blame my faculty members at Carleton University. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fuck all y'all. So first stage is primitive. And this is when the conventions and the iconographies of the genre are being established, but they're not defined and they can be substituted. So this is why we might get some people saying things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a slasher film, even though some other people would be like, no, that's rural horror or, uh, you know, hillbilly horror, hillbilly horror. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's like the bad way of saying it. But yes, (laughs) the point stands. (laughs) Yes. If you want to learn more about that, go listen to our Patreon episodes. We did a whole month on it. Oh, my God. Yeah, that that was a gross (laughs) month. It was. It was very dirty. So primitive, as you mentioned, is is often where we're just sort of figuring out, like, when I say this, what does it mean to you as an audience member? And we can substitute them in and out. So you mentioned things like Black Christmas. Can you think of any other primitive slasher films? Psycho, Peeping Tom. Yes, yeah. So again, part of the fun of the primitive piece is that people might look at that and say like, oh, I don't really think of Psycho and Peeping Tom that way because they're not really focused on uh, a killer in a mask stalking a girl with a knife. And you're like, no, because they're primitive. They're the prototypes. They're helping to set up our expectations. Mm. And so is this then once one makes a lot of money, (laughs) that's the one that sets it. (laughs) Ah! 
funny that you should say that. Yeah, because then we get into the classical period. And that's mm-hmm. when the conventions and the iconographies are obviously confirmed. They become less malleable. And our audience then comes to expect certain things. And you're right. It's like, this is kind of the golden age where every movie also starts to feel the same. But it is often defined by the films that make a lot of money. So, Trace, you've already cued us. What are some of the classical ones? Well, I was going to say, because that, that's why, because people always say, oh, no, Black Christmas really started, you know, the slasher genre, but it didn't make a lot of money. It wasn't mm-hmm. until Halloween, like, made bank and got good reviews that it started being taken seriously. But, like, yeah, so it, I, I'm going Halloween and then to Friday the 13th, but then mm-hmm. what? Terror Train, Prom Night, The Burning, maybe. Maybe that's too late. I'm not really sure what year that was. Um, no, no, that's 81. Okay, there you go. Uh, I don't know. What are some others you got for me? No, I mean, literally, it's any of the slasher films that are being produced in 1980 and 1981. Mm -hmm. It's important to distinguish that because we say they're in the classical period doesn't mean that they are classic films. They don't have to be considered, quote unquote, good or the best, but they have to adhere to all of the conventions and iconographies that we expect. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, so you got it. It's it's really like a lot of people will just automatically go, oh yeah, Halloween, Friday the 13th. I'm like comparing this to like a drug high. I'm like, okay, this is, I'm like peaking right now with like, (laughs) with like all this great content of slashes that I'm getting. And I feel like we're about to take a downward turn. Uh, Sort of. So this is the interesting part. And this is actually my favorite part of the four stages. So this is where we get to the revisionist stage. And this is where the genre is in flux because the conventions and iconographies are now being questioned. So we're testing the limits of what is acceptable. So this is where you get into things like, oh, is it actually a horror film? Oh, is A24 actually making horror films? Mm -hmm. We're not sure. Um, And this is also where we're questioning the audience's popular beliefs, or we're even undermining them. So this one is often a little bit harder, but I like to think of it as the rules of the genre are being played with, or they're being tested. So... Can you think of a slasher that might fall into that category? Uh, April Fool's Day. Yes. Oh that's, my God, yay! <laughs> that's a really perfect example, right? Because folks, if you go back and listen to our episode on April Fool's Day, you'll know that it plays like a conventional slasher for most of the time. And then it kind of pulls the rug out from under you. So it's testing the audience's willingness to follow along with that. And people hated that. And what's, what's yep. funny <laughs> <laughs> what what's funny is that the second wave of slashers also had their own April Fool's Day and spoiler alert cry wolf. Yeah. Yeah. I also wanted to be on record y'all. Um I did not know these questions that I was going to be asked. This I am is true. literally I'm just smart. So- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also because we we implicitly understand all of this without actually having to be told it because we internalize it as horror fans. Like we've been having these discussions for years. Right. Yeah. So then we reach the final part, uh, the final stage, which is parody or parodic. And okay. this is where the the conventions and the iconographies have been reduced to cliche. And therefore, they're open for mockery because we just like it's become so ridiculous. Like we've seen it so many times that we can't help but laugh at it. And that's kind of what makes horror so interesting, right, though? Like, I I mean, you, you can do it. I mean, we, we've seen romantic comedy spoofs. Uh, we've had oh, sure. what, the, the Rebel Wilson, Isn't It Romantic? With the, the David mm-hmm. Wayans, They Came Together. P.S., though, just rewatched They Came Together, and it is fucking hilarious. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, my God. It, it, I didn't love it on the first watch. <laughs> I didn't love it on the first watch, but, um, like, 
actively loved it on a second watch. I think it's a movie, oh, okay. and Matt told me this, where it's like it's a movie where every time you watch it, you notice more and more things. The first time I watched it, I thought it was really um like too on the nose, right? And trying too hard to be funny. Yeah, it worked so much better for me on a second viewing. I mean, and and this is the problem with parodies, right? Is that they are straddling the two genres. So in making fun of something, it's it's on one hand, are they actually paying adherence to it? Like, are they gently ribbing it like we see in student bodies? Are they outright mocking it like in Scary Movie where they seem to maybe not even like the movies they're talking about? But also, are the jokes funny? Yeah, like, is there a reverence for the source material and are you funny? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, but, 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 but okay, but so the, but this is coming out not really at the tail end of a slasher cycle. It's I mean, this is 1981. So, I mean, not that it. I mean, again, like the, these are not strict timelines and rules you're giving me here. But you know, mm-hmm. we have April Fool's Day coming out five years after this. So yeah, but that's yeah. like you know, this is later in the cycle, technically speaking. Well, and that's what makes it kind of fascinating, right? Is that. The people behind student bodies, for whatever reason, you know, they Paramount needed a, a film to release because they didn't have something because of the writer's strike. Sure, that's why they made this movie. Yeah. But mm-hmm. also, it's fascinating to me that the market was so saturated and people were so familiar with all of these conventions that mm-hmm. people believed, oh, the genre has now reached the level of cliche and we can openly mock <laughs> it in 1981. It blew its load way too early because what what they didn't know is that we were going to get a million sequels. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that doesn't get factored into this. It often assumes that films are standalone or that the genre doesn't really move forward. So before we move into student bodies, I have one final bonus round to this game, Trace. Okay. Which category does Scream fit into? See, I would say it's the first one, primitive. But see, I can also see how it could be considered revisionist because it is revising things we already know about the slasher mm-hmm. genre. But I can also see how people would say it's parody because it's also mm-hmm. kind of poking fun. But I think at the time when Scream came out in 96, you could view it as revisionist. Yeah, that's usually where I throw it in. But you're absolutely right. Like if we think about the conversations we have about Scream are always, oh, Scream rebooted the horror franchise, right? Like it did something new and exciting. And that's basically the definition of primitive. It did something new and exciting. It tested these new waters of conventions and iconographies. The funny thing, you didn't mention classical, but at the end of the day, like not at the time it was released, but the way that we talk about slasher films and particularly what happened throughout the aughts and even honestly up until today, Scream has kind of become the classic model that all these other horror films take their structure from. But I would argue you could even combine primitive and classical but I say, you know, okay, yeah, at the time in 96, you could say, oh, yeah, this is this is revisionist because it's changing it. Yeah. But then I'm saying, okay, well, what if we then say that this is a new subgenre? Yes, Scream is a slasher, right. but it's also a self-aware yeah. slasher. It's the rise of the meta-slasher subgenre. And that's why I say at the time, yeah, you can say revisionist, but looking at what Scream did for horror, did or to horror, depending on how you feel about Scream, right. it's clear that it was originating something or at least solidifying something. And mm-hmm. also, like, because... When, when we're talking about the classical, like, okay, cool. I know what you did last summer. Urban yes. legend. Uh, yeah. th- th- that is the classical ser- stage of that. Yeah. I don't know really what revisionist would be. And also where do we get a parody? Like, I guess also. Scary movie. 
Well, yeah, we did get Scary Movie, but, like, I don't know, but we still got more slashers after that. Although, I do wonder, like, Scream 4, maybe Scream 4 is the revisionist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or you could argue, oh, it's kicking off an even newer wave of meta slashers, right? Well, it didn't (laughs) because it made any money, but Uh, it was trying. (laughs) That's not necessarily a condition that we have to adhere to. The money is a, it's a factor in defining popular taste, but it, we can get films that are still important, but they don't make jack shit. I guess I'm trying to think it's like, okay, late 70s to late 80s, like one slasher period. We have a dead period for most of the 90s, mm-hmm. late 90s to like late aughts, another slasher boom, dead period for most of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, hopefully we're starting a new slasher boom with Scream 5. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, yeah, everybody keeps waiting, right? It's like we're waiting for the aquatic horror subgenre to get rebooted. We thought it was going to happen with Crawl, and it didn't. And Although, I mean, I guess now for this, I mean, it's not even Scream 5. Like, Halloween Kills made bank. I mean, again, yep. no money's not a factor. Um, James Wan's new movie, Malignant, looks to be like a slashery type film. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're having, like... Not only in indie horror, but mainstream horror, we are seeing. I mean, Happy Death Day. (laughs) Freaky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and this is why I like to joke that horror, I mean, I think Ariel Fisher has it as her like pinned tweet, but like horror never needed saving. Because if you look at the financials, the genre has always made bank. But then if you divide it into individual subgenres, it's always been doing a baton handoff, right? Like just because slashers died. Because of that, we ended up getting the rise of torture porn and J-horror. So it's like, it's just one subgenre handing it off, and the top genre lives on forever. And zomb- we got zombies and vampires, too. Yeah. What I love about genre studies, though, is like, not all of them are made equal. Like, hey, folks, how are the Western genre fans doing over there? Because you get, what, like one movie every couple of years? <laughs> I mean, that, right? I mean, we should consider ourselves lucky as horror fans that we get as much content as we do, because... I mean, what? How many movies, even during the pandemic, like Jesus, have, have been released? So many. <laughs> how yeah. many horror films specifically? Like, oh my god! Yeah, folks, if you want a sample of how many horror films this summer alone have come out, we did a mini sode that was like just June, July, and August. We missed a bunch, and it was like thirty-eight films. <laughs> Go back and listen to it; it's fun. We couldn't keep up. Also, this year is really, really a lot as well with a lot of movies that came out this year, and it's only. Uh, August. Yeah, August. <laughs> so anyway, so that is your genre crash course. Oh my god, thank you. Now I know things. Yeah, now you're like so much smarter. So much smarter. Okay, but so, uh, let's dive into student bodies then. Because, and, and Joe, I'm going to confess, I, felt, I, I feel like we're going to have a harder time with this. Like, taking notes. A, mm-hmm. I took so many notes on this <laughs> yes, movie. Yes, yes. But not because I was like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, look no. at the statement here. I was just writing lines down. <laughs> yes. We basically reproduced the script because it's funny. That's exactly. Oh, Yes. And so, I don't know, maybe we go through, like, segments, I guess? Like, y'all, we cannot go through this beat by beat because we will literally just be reciting lines. That's all we're going to do. And I will still be reciting lines for most of this episode. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's try that. We'll see how my notes do because they are definitely just a bunch of lines as well. It's fine. Um, I do want to point out, though, that on the Blu-ray for this, and actually it might have been the theatrical poster, this was marketed as the world's first comedy horror movie. I know. I didn't do the research to see if there was one before I, it. But. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's not true, but uh, I'm I, sure someone will let us know. I don't think the people making these movies actually really knew the genre that well. 
I think they knew a couple of films very well. Yes, very much so. And then you get Carrie to end it all. Yeah, it's like, okay, we also watch Carnival of Souls and Carrie and Prom Night (laughs) (laughs) and Halloween. Yeah. Okay, so the opening scene is amusingly similar to basically Scream. Scream versus Friday the 13th. Yes, and I think this is the best part of the film. Yeah, it does start on a high, for sure. Like, okay, we get the the, the the caption, right? This motion picture is based on an actual incident. Last year, 26 horror films were released. None of them lost money. And mm-hmm. then <laughs> we get the credits <laughs> over the house. It's Friday the 13th, Jamie Lee Curtis's birthday, and we're at a babysitter's house. And Halloween, yeah. Oh, yeah, and Halloween. <laughs> yeah, and folks, it's like, if you haven't seen it, we get the, the card... And then it fades to black, and then it comes back in on the exact same house, the exact same time. Like, nothing has changed, just the title. <laughs> like, yes. Halloween, Friday the 13th, Jamie Lee Curtis's birthday. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get to see the breather in point of view. He is played by Richard Belser, and his he has the worst costume. It's galoshes and... Uh, Green gloves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And he has uh, difficulty climbing stairs or doing any kind of strenuous activity, but he is well-equipped to kill these horny kids. It's got a girl who's babysitting and getting prank calls, and then her boyfriend who comes over and wants her to stop eating chicken so that he can fuck her. Okay, so my first line reading of the night. So she's talking to our final girl, Toby, um, on the phone, which I didn't catch until my second watch of this, because okay. <laughs> I didn't know who Toby was when yeah. I started watching the movie. But... <laughs> Toby's like, oh, I forgot to give you, like, to help you study. So just remember the North One. Ooh, heavy. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And then Toby as well. You better be careful. Sometimes when a person acts wild and crazy, well, wild and crazy things happen to them. They do? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Julie is stunned by pretty much everything. And... (laughs) Yeah, there's just so many fun little things, right? Like, so her boyfriend comes over, he wants her to have sex with him. And she's like, no, not here, not now. And he's like, well, when? And she says, upstairs, 10 seconds. And see, like that one, that's the thing with this, because parody is so fast and loose. I I rarely, oh, I, was, I was about to say I rarely watch a parody that I hate, but I mean, like, look at all those, like. Oh, God, those I mean, parody movies from, like, well, what, the 2010s? Ugh. Let's look back at your genre chart then, because, yeah, Scary Movie inspired a wave of date movie, superhero yeah. movie, disaster movie. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> the oh, parody God, genre been... went through a stage shit like that. Correct. Yes, that that was the influence, and those movies are fucking terrible. Oh my god, they're not good. So I was like, it's. You, I was gonna say, oh, it's always easy to find something to laugh at in a parody, but that is um not the case. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, because usually- I don't think they're smart, right? Like one of the things I liked about student bodies, even if you would argue that they don't know the genre all that well, they seem mm-hmm. to know beats of the genre. But they're smart with the way that they're delivering the humor. Like, it's absurdist. It's sometimes even a little bit surreal. It's very stupid and ridiculous. But they're not talking down to the audience, which I think a lot of those parody films did. Yeah, well, also, I mean, we discussed this in Scary Movie too. A lot of those films kind of required you to have seen the source material. Yeah, because the joke was just that they were replicating it, not that they were actually doing anything funny with it. Whereas here, we get to watch Jizz come out of a phone receiver. Oh, see, I don't think it was Jizz. I thought it was the saliva from his mouth. 
I mean both. I mean both. I, honestly, <laughs> my, my, what I wrote in my notes is I was like, why is it coming out of the mouthpiece and not the ear hole? Oh. Also, never say ear hole to me again. <laughs> Uh, so the breather ends up dispatching them and uh we see that julie is stabbed to death with a paper clip whereas her boyfriend is wrapped up in a hefty garbage bag amazing yeah also yeah you're right the killer hates dares also hates gum specifically sugar-free gum uh-huh i <laughs> i was like i don't understand is this an 80s reference like the height of sugar-free gum i don't is it more sticky I have no idea, but we're about to get, again, something that Scream kind of does, where the parents come home, mm-hmm. and one of my absolute favorite lines, it may, it may not work for everybody because it's very on the nose, but the mom's like walking into the house, and they clearly, I guess, just went to go see a horror movie. Mm-hmm. She's like talking about how horror movies are trash. What makes them think the American public wants to watch that stupid trash? And the husband goes, you're right, honey. Now hurry up or else we'll miss Dukes of Hazard." Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> That is a punch to the nards right there. It's so, I mean, you can like do it today and it's like, oh, it's like, uh, let's go watch The Bachelor or something. Right, or Duck Dynasty. Yeah, yes, exactly that. Or the news. I do enjoy how the mom just walks around screaming at everything oh. that Julie has not done in her babysitter duties. Um, how about the dad noticing the broken chicken leg that's on the floor and using a rubber band to put it back together and put it back in the fridge? <laughs> yeah, it's a moment of weirdness. I mean, th- there is an energy in this opening. Like, yeah, it, it really hits the ground running. And and that's unfortunately like that energy kind of like it gets lost the further the film goes on. Yes, yeah. I do think part of this, too, is that it's a long segment, right? Like, this is a proper kind of cold open to the entire film. We don't really duplicate long sequences from this point on. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I have two and a half pages of notes, and this opening sequence is a full half page. Yeah, yeah. We should also note that one of the recurring gags of the movie is that there is an on-screen kill count, so... In case you're paying attention, we're at two. And in most parodies, yeah, there's a bunch of recurring gags. I mean, you already mentioned it at the very top of the episode, but it's a lot of um, blank gets me hot uh, is a thing that's in this movie a lot. <laughs> I loved it. It's anything that, and it's always teenage boys too, right? Yeah. So the, the joke is that anything will make a teenage boy hot, but it's the most ridiculous things. <laughs> oh, also the gag that I love that I, I think it happens like three times is like when we get to like the, the shop room, it's like, what are we, what are you talking about? Miss shouldn't be in shop class today what are we talking about miss shouldn't be on the float anyway mm-hmm. uh, the recurring gags i do quite like them even the horse head book well i mean i was posting that i was watching this there were so many people that were like oh my god i used to watch this all the time on mm-hmm. usa up all night <laughs> i don't remember a lot about it except for random bits and i yes and, but that's what i love about this people have different things that they remember about this movie because again there's so th- this movie is hitting you fast and loose with jokes like one after the other yeah it is hard actually to catch them all in a first viewing which is why oh. i watched it a second time today uh-huh. i just love it's just so much fun it, it it's not boring <laughs> no I tried to watch this without subtitles, and then I was like, no, I gotta find subtitles for this, uh, because I needed to be able to pay attention to what the wordplay was. So much wordplay. So much wordplay. Yeah, which as you know, you know, wordplay, it gets me so hot. (laughs) But that's actually a fact. That's not even a gag. No, it actually is a fact, yeah. 
So these kids are dead. That's our opening. And then we cut to the next day at school. The bodies are already in the ground. We're at the funeral. We're introduced to Mr. <laughs> Harlow Hebrew Peters. He is the high school principal played by Joe Palarowski. Sure. And uh, he is always presided over by his mother, Miss Mumsy, Mimi Waddell. Spoiler alert, these are the killers. Do they establish that she's his mother beforehand? I just took it based off the name and the way that she hovers over him. But no, not until the very okay. end. So yeah, which again, I love the guy. Ah, no, the father. I'm, I'm his father. <laughs> but actually, the film does telegraph that they are the killers immediately. Because as soon as the, uh, the boy and girl go off to fuck in the car, mm-hmm. it does a super close-up shot of both the principal and Mrs. Mumsley as they look at them and they look disgusted. Yes. Although technically all of the adults look disgusted. Like, it's very gauche for these kids to just leave a funeral to go fuck in a car. Not even far away. It's across the street. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But Chicken Lips is coming after them. This is true. Yeah. Um, We're also introduced here to Malvert, who is the school janitor, and he is played by he does have a real name, but he's credited as The Stick. The Stick. And this is his uh, film debut. I, I didn't realize how much his arms swung until we get to the prom. Um, this actor, who again, they called The Stick, he is a tall, double-jointed stand-up comedian. Um, and I, I, I guess he just went by The Stick constantly. Um, he made no other films. Uh, his only other credit seems to be a guest appearance in the pilot episode of the 1984 TV series Out of Control. Mm. But... I will say that in even the bad reviews of this film, they they singled this man out as being one of the film's highlights. Yeah, he's, I mean, so visually striking because he is so mm-hmm. much taller. He, he gets a lot of attention because the film and the characters, I think, more so want you to believe that he's the killer because he's uh, a little bit slower. He looks a little bit different and so on. But yeah. uh, I don't know. He, he's just a very memorable character. Yeah, he is. And he gets a really good post-dream sequence moment (laughs) at the end of the movie. Indeed, yes. So Joe and Bertha are killed by a (laughs) horse head bookend. Bertha. Bertha. (laughs) Yes, they're killed basically because Joe finds funerals hot. So they have to go fuck. Funerals get me so hot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So our kill count is now up to four. Mm-hmm. And this is really when we're introduced proper to our main protagonist. We have Hardy, who is played by Matt Goldsby, and he is just so generic and un- yep. just so forgettable in every way. I actually kept every time he appeared in this movie, I thought it was a new character. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great joke. Oh, that's an Arrested Development joke, isn't it? I don't know. I made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, although I did watch the first season of Arrested Development. Because um, I think George Michael Jr.'s uh, girlfriend in the first season, oh. they can never remember her name. And they're always like, yeah. who are you? No, it's her. It's it's uh, Mae Whitman. Although, okay, tiny rewind. I just have to say the line because I love that the mom of the, uh, sorry, the, the woman whose house it was at the opening scene, <laughs> when mm-hmm. she walks up to the woman at the coffin and goes, oh, yeah, Julie was babysitting at my house when she got it. <laughs> And then she tries to pay her five hours at 75 cents an hour. <laughs> Just, oh, God. <laughs> oh, there's a really good money joke later involving uh, involving Malvert that I love. God, okay. Okay. Uh, so, yes, Hardy is dating Toby because, of course, she has to have a boy's name because she is based off of Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Halloween. And yeah. this is our protagonist, 
Kristen Ritter slash Kristen Ryder. Uh, who I actually really oh say, she's actually, great as if I shouldn't as, yeah as if I'm expecting her to be bad yeah I, I think she's very very fun in this movie mm-hmm. which is because basically she's playing the Cindy character from the scary movies where yeah. she has to be the straight person that bad and dumb shit happens to all the time but it takes a really you gotta be a good comedian to pull off a lot of this kind of stuff. Oh, the moment the therapist hands her the box of Kleenex, the empty box of Kleenex to wipe her tears away with. <laughs> and she literally wipes the tear with yeah. the box. <laughs> I died at that gag. I loved it really every good. single time. Oh, boy. Okay. So they have a, a typical relationship. She's very chaste. He's very boring. And they're very do-gooders. And then we're introduced mm-hmm. to a kind of litany of other characters. And because it's a parody, none of these characters matter. But I am going to reference the fact that we do have two handicapped characters, one who is in a wheelchair, that's Luke. And then there's also a blind man who is black. And he has a dog that steals his car. <laughs> And I wanted to raise it because we just talked about uh, disability when we talked about A Quiet Place 2 on the Patreon. Right. And I thought that this was interesting, if only because I didn't expect to see disability represented in a film at this time. I mean, yes, we do have, uh, what is it, Friday the 13th, part two, three? Two. Two, two. yeah. Still haven't watched it, clearly, because uh, I would have known that. But Wait, like, never? You've never seen part two? I've seen part of it. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the opening. It's okay. It actually is really one of the best ones in the franchise. It, I've heard. It, it's the only one I find legitimately scary. Oh, good. Okay. So. Um, I, yeah, but I'm I'm raising them if only because I, I was surprised to see them here. But also, I do appreciate that, yes, the jokes are about their disabilities, but they're not treated any differently than any other character who are also fair and open game. Um, except they don't die. So, you know. They do, yeah. Or sorry, they don't. <laughs> they don't. <rather. laughs> um, this is also where we're introduced to Patty Priswell, who is played by Sarah Eckhart. And she is uh, in the running to become prom queen. And one of her favorite slogans is death before disfigurement. Um, I love this character and I want more of this character. And for any Austinites out here, she is actually um, a member of the Texas Senate and a former county judge for Travis County, Texas. And she is a Democrat. <laughs> Wowee. <laughs> so, you know, she did this and now uh, she's in the government. There you go. You two folks can appear in a parody film and then go on to represent <laughs> your constituencies. <laughs> I think one of my issues, and this will lead into why I think the back half of the film doesn't work as well is because it doesn't actually invest in any of the characters apart from Toby and maybe Hardy. Kind of even with Toby, right? Because I feel like there's chunks where we don't have Toby. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, it, it feels more like a sketch show than it does a yes. movie. And again, I, I mean, and that was a critique we had of Scary Movie too, right? Where it's like, yeah. okay, this is really just, oh, let's move on to the next bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I want deep storytelling from my parodies here. I just, like, I mean, look at Airplane, you know? And I know we've mentioned Airplane so many times already, but it's like, that is a perfect parody. And it's there a is classic. a plot. <laughs> and it has a plot. Like, yeah. it has point A to point B characters that the movie spends time with. Granted, yeah. it's all in one setting. But... That's part of the reason why that movie works for me, whereas when this one, yeah, it's like, oh, who is that again? 
Right. They show up. They've got another joke. They disappear. Like half of these characters we never even see again. They're there for a couple of scenes for a couple of jokes and then they're gone. Which I mean, and so many of the characters that die, like, I mean, especially when we get to the bleachers couple, like, I mean, but maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the commentary of like, well, that's how it is in slasher films. Indeed. Yes. As Siskel would say, it's not a deep bench. (laughs) Uh, okay, so we do attend a couple of classes. We have shop class with Mr. Dumpkin, who is played by Joe Flood. And this is where the horse head bookends come into play. He will only allow them to build horse head bookends. I am not going to lie. So uh, people really like this gag. This did nothing for me. And this right. is a gag. And not that I hated it per se, but I just did not laugh. I, I laughed the first time. I was like, oh, that's funny. Horse head bookends. But it obviously comes back a lot throughout this film's runtime. Yeah, and and that's always the problem with a recurring gag, right? If you don't really find it all that funny the first time, every subsequent time it comes back, you just think, okay, I get it. Move on. How did you feel about the uh, the on-screen prompts? Like whenever the, ba- the the clues with the flashing arrow pointed up or like the door is unlocked, door unlocked, flashing arrow. I, I was kind of like, oh, the first time was fun. But like uh, after that, I was like, no, 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 we can stop now. <laughs> I I liked it early on, and then yeah, when it when it suggests, oh, Mister Dumpkin, clue, and then suspect, I was like, yeah, no, okay, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so the breather then stalks Toby from the point where she's changing in the locker room, but only after masturbating and falling asleep. Uh, what is it? Scan boobies, boobs. I love <laughs> locker rooms. I love girls' locker rooms. I want my mommy told me not to. <laughs> <laughs> it just goes on and on and on and on. It's so funny. So I also much. love that Toby has a pin that's not on the outside of her shirt, but it's actually attached to her, her bra. bra. Yes. So it's like if you made it this far, the pin says something like "No means no" or "No, um, I said no, no, no. no." I did write this down. I said, uh, "Where's the pin on her bra?" In all caps. For the last time, I said no. But then later <laughs> in the movie, <laughs> later in the movie, she's wearing a, like a sweater again, and she has a pink pin on her shoulder that just says "No." Yeah. uh which i feel is a very funny feminist commentary that we would almost see from ya films now where like i i'm preparing to watch moxie for my other podcast and it's very like rah rah riot girl where they're building girl zines and and listening to punk music and i'm like oh i could totally picture these girls wearing a pin that says like for the last time I said no. Actually, yeah, remake. Um, well, maybe not remake student bodies, but I, I would really love a slasher parody that would go to theaters and, yeah, like tackle shit like that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, the time is ripe. We haven't really had a good slasher parody in a while. Actually, well, I, I'm saying that we have had a slasher parody, but it's really spoofing porn more so in Deep Murder. Oh, right. Yes. I I believe you may have talked about Deep Murder somewhere. I did. I might have talked about it on Certified Forgotten with previous guest Matt Donato on our The Boy Next Door episode. But um, yes, everyone, go watch Deep Murder. It is a fun porn slasher parody. <laughs> yeah, I should get around to watching that one, too, someday. I have no idea if you'll like it or not. <laughs> it's a question mark. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Toby does run to Mr. Malvert, and he protects her by uh, solving a crossword puzzle. <laughs> yeah, I, I that was fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite recurring jokes is that everything is the big something. So, you know, it was the big funeral. And how is it happening on the day of the big <laughs> game and also the big prom? So we are up to... <laughs> 
<laughs> so we are up to the point where it is the big parade, which is a, a reference to graduation day. If you haven't seen that slasher film. Uh, I have, but I forgot all about it. I own yeah. it, but I forgot all about it. <laughs> it. It was funny to me that it's so prominently featured in this film because I don't think it's a great horror film. It's got a couple of good kills because it's all about like track and field and like. Right. Um, but yeah, it does have a, a big parade scene in it. I, see, that just makes me think about other really good parody film, not another teen movie, where it's like mm-hmm. the big, it's prom and it's also graduation day and it's also yep. this and it's also this. <laughs> Oh man, that that to me is probably one of the most successful contemporary parodies. I've watched it twice in the past twelve months, and yeah, it absolutely holds up. <laughs> comfort, comfort. That film is so fucking funny. It's really good. <laughs> I do like the line. Hasn't there been enough senseless murder? Let's have a murder that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. See, there's some wordplay. <laughs> Uh, yeah so we get another couple killed here on the parade route this is the eggplant death trace i also love that when toby's like what's going on and hardy's like maybe he's helping her find the bathroom in the float <laughs> in the float yeah so oh, always the, guy, the guy in the float has a line where he goes well the floor is hard but i'm soft baby and i'm like well what <laughs> i can't help it the bulls get me hot <laughs> no hollow bulls sorry hollow bulls get me hot oh my god um uh, yeah this is when we get the not the eggplant no <laughs> <laughs> but we find out because she hates eggplants that's what yes. her boyfriend says <laughs> yes that's what ralph says about oh, it, about his girlfriend ragmar what the that, fuck kind of name is that how did you find these names <laughs> captions oh right <laughs> that's the only reason uh, so our kill count is now up to six and this is when we get, so I will read this, even though I kind of said at the top, but everyone, so this is when this kill happens, uh, Toby freaks out, but then we cut to an old man at a desk. It's very Rocky Horror-y, actually. It is, yes. But he says this, ladies and gentlemen, in order to achieve an R rating today, a motion picture must contain full frontal nudity, graphic violence, or an explicit reference to the sex act. Since this <laughs> film has none of those, and since research has proven that R-rated films are by far the most popular with the movie going public, the producers of this motion picture have asked me to take this opportunity to say, fuck you. And then we get the NPA <laughs> logo, and then we're back to the movie. Yep. I just love how it's randomly inserted into the film at this time, too. You could have opened the film with this. You could have ended the film with this. No, it's just randomly inserted. Yeah, I also kind of... I, I, I knew this was a scene going into it. For some reason, I thought we also got like a supercut of boobs. And I'm a little mad we didn't get that. Uh, yeah, a supercut of boobs would have fit right into this movie, too. I mean, also, Airplane has a pair of tits and it's PG. Uh, there we go. What is your excuse, student bodies? They didn't have the budget, the insurance. Do you have to insurance boobs? Do you have to insurance boobs? Do you have to insure boobs? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do we have to insurance boobs? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, subtitle of this episode mm-hmm. okay so let's take a few more classes we go to biology where we have a penis hating instructor walking us through frog dissections uh also we get the um you're the murderer no that's impossible i wouldn't hurt a fly <laughs> kills a fly and then the kill the body count goes up to 6.5 <laughs> but it doesn't stay there we're not getting no. half kills later <laughs> no it's inconsistent I do also think it's funny that uh, people are kind of doing side commentary. So students are talking about Toby because she might oh. be the killer. Faculty are talking about the about her. It's so fucking inappropriate. 
through a 2021 lens. Oh, yeah, it's great. But I also kind of laugh because they keep saying things like, let's give her the chair. And if she had <laughs> honor or self-decency, she'd kill herself. And I'm just like, this is so fucking inappropriate. <laughs> wait, wait. So are we at the part now where the teachers or the principal is making her go to the go to the therapist where they're, ta- where they're having that little powwow? Yes, that's where we're at. So we get the, they maybe go to a shrink and she's like, oh, thank you, principal. Thank you for having confidence in me. Oh, it's not exactly confidence. I think you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this doctor introduces himself as Sigmund and she goes, oh, okay. Thank you, doctor. Uh, and she mistakes it for Sigmund being his first name. And he's like, no, my first name is Fisher. So his name is Dr. Fisher Sigmund. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. Because we missed it. But this is whenever the, the Malvert comes in and pees red, um, which gross. Yeah. The, the one teacher's like, oh, it must be so sad. Once a teacher, now a janitor. And the principal goes, well, he does enjoy the raisin pay. Yes. <laughs> This is also where we get the first of two times where we get the click. Did you just hang up? No, I just said click. Um, I'm sorry. Also, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, 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 what makes your voice sound so funny? I'm disguising it by talking through a rubber chicken. Well, I thought it sounded like you were speaking through a rubber chicken. And so then <laughs> they hang up. Who was that? The killer. Chicken lips. <laughs> <laughs> Which almost made me wish that they then didn't refer to him as the breather and only referred to him as Chicken Lips. Oh, I, well, I, again, like my, my, the one thing I knew about this movie was that the Chicken Lips joke was so fucking funny mm-hmm. that I had to hear about it the entire next day after this movie marathon and I was hungover as shit. And so <laughs> that we get one, one use of Chicken Lips in this mm-hmm. movie. But it's good. It's a good use. But we do get two visuals of him talking through the chicken on the phone. <laughs> we sure as shit do. <laughs> <sighs> okay, so Toby, yes, pays a visit to Dr. Fisher Sigmund. He encourages her to not be so formal and to call him daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and also her dad used to beat her and lock her in his room with him in it. <laughs> oh, God. And then, he goes, and then he goes, don't call me daddy anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they spend a few moments talking about intercourse and she says do you mean sex and he says yes did i pronounce it right (laughs) (laughs) oh and sex was only bad and dirty with her father but with everyone else it was great yeah oh god i Uh, i loved everything about this scene with the doctor oh no it's so funny again so editing Editing and comedy works mm-hmm, really well. The mm-hmm. editing is very fast yes. in this movie, but especially in this scene. Yeah, this is also where uh, we mentioned it before, but she wipes her face with the Kleenex box and then later paper and then later his pipe. <laughs> See, that is a good gag. It's a really good gag. It's just because it makes no fucking sense. It's no. so out there. And that's what makes it funny. And, yeah, and she's playing it straight. She's like, yeah, all right, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So this, I would actually argue, is where the film gently starts to fall apart because we start to get just a bunch of random kind of scenes. So we get a PA announcement that Toby's the killer and the entire English class clears out. We get... Um, Okay, but wait, I'm sorry, but when the teacher is teaching Hamlet, and she goes, Hamlet is a melancholy man whose mother is sleeping with his uncle. And then the girl in the front row, well, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yeah. It's a shit like that. It's constantly just little asides that you can you can miss them so easily, but they're fucking hilarious. 
Right. Uh, and see, those are the things that I like the most. Whereas, though, we're about to get, like, um, we're, we're getting the, the announcement, and mm-hmm. someone throws a tomato at the speaker that then comes through the microphone and hits the principal in the face. Yeah. All right. Like, it, that's it's fine. It's a bit broad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I do want to have a discussion about this part, because, folks, you may say, why are they even talking about this movie? There's no queer content mm-hmm. in this. And A, fuck off. And B... I apologize, but uh, we do get the scene with Miss Mumsley asking Malvert if he'll confess if suspicion falls on, I think this is maybe where we find out that Mr. Peters is her son, but she tells Malvert he'll have more fun in jail with the men because homosexuality is the up and coming thing. And in context, because it's like, okay, so they don't know yet, but the AIDS crisis is about to hit in just Mm -hmm. a couple years. Oh, yeah. And, And obviously... It's, we've been making jokes about men being sent to prison about, you know, oh, you seem like an odd person, so you're probably gay or queer. It's not that this took me out of the film or I can't watch this movie or it's homophobic. Like, obviously it's homophobic. This movie is racist. It's ableist. It's It's, everything. It's a parody. You have to expect it. And, you know, I mean, look, we had a few terse messages from some listeners who were really not happy with us saying in Scary Movie 2, this couldn't be made today, which mm-hmm. I think we did say a couple times. Eh, maybe, <laughs> maybe just maybe a few more times. Than, yeah. Maybe more than a couple. And uh, this is not so much the case, but I'm also kind of like, oh, like it's 1981. Like, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I mean, really, the difference between this and Scary Movie 2 is 20 years. Well, but also Scary Movie 2 is mean-spirited. This movie, I don't think it it's is. mean-spirited. Yeah, I think the thing that rubbed me the wrong way is the idea that because he is maybe developmentally challenged that she assumes that he must be gay. And I thought it was a very weird thing to conflate. Oh, see, I I didn't take it as her thinking he was gay. I took it as, oh, no, you can take the fall and just become gay because, you know, it's it's the new trend nowadays. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? That's not even a more generous read. That's probably what it is. I mean, I, I didn't have the same reaction you did to. I literally was like, oh, look, queer representation. Right. <laughs> Still hungry for it. Still looking for representation, folks. So good. Oh, my God. But you know what, though? Again, at the end of the movie, this is a very smart, well-established character. So mm-hmm. I'll take it if he's gay. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we're up to the big game, and uh, I I will confess I enjoyed the gag about the food vendor who just throws things in people's faces. Oh, force-feeding them hot dog wieners and just spraying mustard in, like, a a bukkake facial of of a scene. Yeah, and then he and another vendor get in a fight where they just throw food at each other. Yes, yes. Uh, Uh. And I, 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 again, watch this twice. There was something that happened during this football game with, I guess, a short player, but I kept, like, my brain kept shutting off every time because I was like, I don't care about football, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to watch this. <laughs> I think it's meant to be that the other team, is, so one team is predominantly dominated by African-American players, and then the other team is made up of white people, and I'm not sure if they get younger or if they're all children from the get-go, but by the oh. end of the sequence, it's little kids. But how about the guy in the bleachers that goes, I just remembered I have to pick up my daughter from the airport. And then like right behind him, daddy, daddy, the plane was early. I'm back. (laughs) That's Mr. Peters. He's trying to make excuses to go and kill the kids who sneak away to have sex under the bleachers. And every excuse he comes up with, he's like, I have to go make a phone call. And somebody's like, you can use my mobile phone. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
He's like, oh, I have to go shave. And the person's like, oh, I have a razor under my pocket. See, no, th- that shit worked for me. But, but, daddy, daddy, the plane I came early. I'm back. It's a character we've never met. We will never see her again. No. We didn't. We don't even think this character has a daughter. We've never alluded to it at all. It's just no. the joke. And it's so funny. It's so funny. <laughs> Uh, so question, what do you think of the gag where the nurse and the police chief inadvertently demonstrate their theory that the killer is locking up men in the hefty bag so they put Mawamba, the exchange student, oh. and then forget about him and he just dies? Yeah. yeah, that. <laughs> it's some, um, that's some dark comedy there, folks. It's some choice humor. <laughs> Because the minute they put him in the bag, you know exactly where the joke is going. Well, no, because that's the thing. I, I think it's, I mean, maybe I'm just slow, but this is around the point where I'm like, oh, it's only the men that get killed with plastic bags. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also the garbage gets me hot. <laughs> this couple goes under the bleachers and I love this girl's like, oh, this garbage is falling. Ah, well, garbage gets me hot. <laughs> yeah. And then he leaves so that he can go and get a broom. Yes. Okay. But so the way the killer comes in with an eraser, and yes. this girl does the exact same thing the eggplant girl does. She goes, "Ow, an eraser!" Ah! <laughs> yes. And then it is uh, orally shoved into her mouth. So her boyfriend does come back. He sees this. He gets knocked unconscious. But Toby has realized that this couple has gone under the bleachers, and because she's such a goody two shoes, she comes to investigate, and she <laughs> finds this girl, Joan dead and she just goes joan you look terrible yeah okay scary movie it's scary three movie three stole that. <laughs> <laughs> oh brenda you look terrible i do love the boyfriends on what's this white powder Ugh, cut with chalk we get a cocaine reference in here mm-hmm. <laughs> um yes no i 100 called the oh you look terrible <laughs> scary movie three are you okay okay <laughs> Uh, so funny so funny so they then try to like pin the crime on malvert when the bodies are discovered so the police chief keeps saying uh if you didn't have a reason to kill these kids you can get up and leave and he inadvertently just lets everybody go um okay but did you so he says yes anyone who had no motives in connection to this killing you can go home (laughs) the next one is all those whose parents are of the same sex you can go home Oh, I didn't catch that. I thought it was if you didn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But no, I 100% All those whose parents are of the same sex, you can go home. <laughs> okay, I was like, what a random thing to say. Very random thing. Yeah. Uh, so this is when Toby sneaks off to try to figure out the source of what's happening. This is, it's weird because I feel like this is where the plot is kicking in a little bit more. Toby's trying to figure out the killer. She's trying to go undercover. It's also the part where things aren't quite as funny. I will say yes to that, except for this corpse farting bit. Yeah, you like the farts? Okay, so I'm not really a fart humor person. And none of the farts, I was like, okay, yeah, funny. Oh, we get the boing for the erection. Mm -hmm. It was when everyone leaves and Hardy lifts it up. And the corpse just does this monster fart that propels (laughs) the stretcher out of the room. (laughs) It's like a rocket engine, yes. I wish you could... I was watching this by myself, and I had to pause the movie. Because you were laughing (laughs) so hard? I was laughing so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I will... I will say, I so I also don't find fart humor too, too funny, but I do enjoy it as a bit of a chuckle-worthy moment. 
I didn't laugh too, too much at this because it, it was a little too obvious to me, but I did like the moment, if we go way back to the beginning, the opening, when Julie, the babysitter, oh, checks the, dog. the door. She goes, hey, your kitty, and you hear the sound of a mew, and then it's just a dog taking a shit. <laughs> no, but it's peeing, and you get the yes. sound effect. <laughs> Uh, but see, that's random shit that it's just like all right like that that that's parody that that's classic yeah. parody shit that they do and they're just random things yeah it's just random shit yep <laughs> uh okay so we learn from the killer this is when he calls again so chicken lips gives us a second call to let everyone know that they're going to strike next at the big prom and th- is this when we also go through all the suspects we go through the suspects. We also get Toby picking out costumes from the non-musical version of Greece. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but uh, don't, don't, don't you love the um, this woman? English teacher by day, English teacher by night. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's funny because it's only for our benefit. And it's like, wait, who's saying this? <laughs> What's I mean, it's happening? the killer. The killer is saying it. He's breaking the fourth wall. Yeah, it's very, very dumb. Very funny. Uh, also, more more gay shit. Nurse Crud and Miss Van Dyke. What's in a name? Everything. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. No. So, neither is all of this stuff with Toby dressing up as slutty Sandy from the non-musical version of Grease so that she can sneak covertly into prom. I do think it's funny that she sends Hardy in by himself because it would be too obvious if she goes with him, but also... He's like, well, but it's so pathetic that I'm going into prom by myself. And she says, well, you don't have any friends. <laughs> so, okay, I promise I watched this movie. But in my notes, I, I saw the scene where they're going through the non-musical Grease costumes. Uh-huh. And literally, when they get to the prom, I was like, well, there's this new character that's dressed up as Sandy. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you're as dumb as one of the characters in this movie. I know. <laughs> I thought it was just some random girl. Oh, wow. That actually just makes us so much better now. I was not inebriated in any shape, way, or form. I think I was just distracted, but I was like, who is this new character, Sandy? (laughs) Yeah, I love that she uses a southern affectation that is not at all convincing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is where we find out that Mr. Peters has keys to, obviously, all of the rooms in the school, and she has to get the key so that she can go through his file cabinet, but she has to be careful not to grab the cheese that he has in his pants. So I just wrote dick cheese. Oh, okay. So that makes it even less funny than it already was. Um, (laughs) But yes, sure. Uh, this is where we find out that Patty, the character that we both thought was quite funny earlier, she has lost prom queen because all of her competitors died and they didn't feel it would be appropriate. <laughs> this ca- <laughs> But what if she has you her line, if I can't be the prettiest girl in school, I want to be the ugliest. And she starts to say, I just want to slice my face. What a commentary on teenage girls. I love it. Uh, so this is when we follow Patty and her military boyfriend, um... I'm sure he has a name. I could not discover it, but uh, the, but th- this scene, this is the scene that should work better, but it fe- and yeah, it, it goes it, on it, for too long. It's just not funny. So yeah, they go to have sex in Mister Dumpkin's shop class, and it there's just no jokes. 
Yeah, I mean, I did laugh when when Patty's getting killed and we're inside the closet with Mr. Dumpkin, who's been hiding this entire time. Mm-hmm. And we just hear a bunch of like planes, trains and automobiles as she's getting killed. Yes. Yeah. Like that was funny. Um, I did also laugh when the boyfriend comes back and he has an unrolled condom that he wants to use. Right. Oh, gross. <laughs> but like, yeah, other than that, I was just kind of like, all right. Oh, also necrophilia gag, because uh, this guy is ready to fuck Patty's corpse. Yes. <laughs> Oh, boy. Because, you know, teenage boys. In this case, it's probably dead bodies get me so hot. But you can feel the, uh, the, even the creativity. Because So this guy gets killed with a trash bag. We have Mr. Dumpkin. And the joke, his dying joke is, oh, you've already killed 10 people already. And 11 is the legal limit in this state. Ugh. Womp womp. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Needless to say, he becomes the 11th victim. Yes, and I'm like okay, the whole the whole gag thing. about him also trying to walk this person down because he's an authority figure. It just it goes on for too long and it's not very funny. Yeah, I mean this felt painfully long to me, but he does get killed with one of his horsehead bookends. Indeed, yes, that's the final payoff to that recurring gag. So we get Toby investigating the office. Uh, there's a bunch of amusing things that I feel like if we had kill by kill on this episode, they would be highlighting right. for us, like. Why is the calendar still in March, even though we know for sure that this film takes place in June? I love that that's what you were going at, whereas I was like the file folders that said hookers domestic and hookers for him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But all of the files are empty. Like every single file is empty. But then we get the headshots of all the, I'm sorry, headshots or school photos. I don't really know which one it was. Yeah. (laughs) Slut. Bimbo. Mm -hmm. Whore. Yeah, because of course, at this point in time, we're very much in the model that, oh, it's slutty, promiscuous girls are the ones who get killed, but also social commentary on slasher films, which is that they feature teenage girls getting murdered, right? And that's the thing, right? I mean, this movie is, it's its not a great movie. I do think it's a very enjoyable movie. I think it's a very entertaining movie, but mm-hmm. again, front loaded with, with creativity and like quality. Mm-hmm. It's so funny to me that this is, what, 15 years before Scream comes out? And Scream makes a lot of these exact same observations, but just, you know, delivers them better. Oh, sure. And, like, some of the gags feel like Scary Movie lifted them straight out of here. Like, a character is about to fall on a bunch of marbles and impale themselves to death. Oh, uh uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, the, the line when he has I Love New York painted on his chest, that's right, all these years I've been secretly naked underneath my clothes. Mm-hmm. Which, P.S., is a line in the trailer. Oh, no! No! <laughs> I do love the idea, though, like, yes, of course you've been naked under your clothes, but it's such a, like, it's a dumb joke, but it's kind of funny, and it's something that everyone could say. Um, I mean, okay, I, I, I'm just going through lines in this in this sequence here, but yeah, that one I thought was kind of funny, but I did really love. Did you ever see our school trophy? Well, no, I I, I never knew we won a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've seen how they play football. <laughs> this has been honestly, the, um, uh, Miss Miss Ritter, Miss Ritter does get to kind of have a lot of fun in, in a climax that does feel too long. Yeah, but she's like i i am enjoying at least watching her react to all this crazy shit that's happening i'm sorry all of this fucked up shit that's happening yes indeed because this is the moment where we find out okay so mr peters has been killing all of these girls because he can't handle his attraction to them and then she gets away from him after he inadvertently kills himself and then (laughs) she runs into miss mumsy mumsley who reveals that she is the other killer (gasps) 
two killers, Trace. Hmm. But, but again, edit, editing happening here. But uh, are, you're his mother? I'm his father. And we keep getting all these reveals, like back and forth, back and forth, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot. And it's, this is an energy that was missing from like the past like 20 minutes of this movie. Yeah. Arguably, I would say it's still not funny, but it does feel like, okay, we're actually picking up for a climax. Yeah. 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 Because now we get this chase scene of sorts yeah so this is where the film takes its cue from carnival of souls and toby is just running through the hall she's reimagining all of no she's not reimagining she's imagining (laughs) all of her dead colleagues coming back to haunt her you know we get some kind of surreal camera work it's a little bit trippy and uh, yeah. she ultimately falls out a window, and then she wakes up in a hospital, and we get the, it was all a dream, except it's also like The Wizard of Oz, where yeah. everybody has a different role now. Um, none of this really worked for me no. outside of, oh, the swine flu really affected my mind. <laughs> uh, yes. And, which is, and of course, swine flu is caused by sexual repression. Right. Yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, I, yeah. I mean, this is kind of like a movie, like just ended, yeah, ended already. Yeah. So it's trying to do the it was all a dream, and then it's revealed that actually Hardy is the real killer. So he goes out with her to the woods where she decides she's going to lose her virginity to him, and then that's when he kills her because, of course, she is giving it up. She's no longer the virgin in a horror film. And this is the last gag that I laughed at in the movie, but we smash cut to the funeral with the with the text one hour later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they found her body, put her in a coffin, got everybody there, and they're now ready to deliver this eulogy, which is delivered by Dr. Sigmund. Oh, and, and he's really upset because she was his patient. <laughs> yes. And uh, then Hardy perches over the grave and says, oh, I wish I didn't have to kill you. And we get the Carrie gag yeah. at the end, which isn't even a gag. It's a homage. And again not funny yeah like you don't even end the movie on a joke no right? it's just kind of like oh so i mean look it is clear based on some of the things that i read like I, I found something um one of the actors like not a big part in the role but he was like oh i was really embarrassed to be in this movie when it came out oh okay and so i i really and that's where like what i'm thinking with um with uh with michael ritchie how he's you know doing the alan smithy thing where i'm like i don't think i don't think anyone thought this movie was good or was going to be good or was going to be well received and so we can say the writer's strike did this, like made them do this or whatever. But I really think that people that were making this movie were embarrassed by it at the time. Right. Yeah. Which is disappointing, right? Because, I mean, hopefully when people are making art, they have faith in it or they feel passionate about it. Obviously, sometimes they do it because they want to make money, which is why Paramount did this. But yeah. it, it's disappointing to me that they didn't see some of the comedic potential because I think there's a reason that folks continue to like this film. I mean, it's a little bit harder to get now that it's not playing on USA up all night every yeah. every other week. But I quite enjoyed this movie. Like, I think two thirds of it are really funny. And oh, sorry. So my clarification of why I think the ending doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Is because it focuses on who is the killer. It tries to dedicate too much time to the investigation as though it's a proper film. And that's not what we actually want from this movie. Like when the film is actually being a parody and just telling jokes and being funny, that's when it's successful. When it tries to be more of a conventional quote unquote horror film, it falls flat. 
Mm, you know what? That is a valid point. I almost would have preferred if they went the clue route and just did like a bunch of people as the killer. Exactly. I mean, you, you get the impression that's almost what they're trying to do with the dream reveal. And then, oh, it actually is her boyfriend. Like it, they kind of want to have three different endings to this movie. The problem is this, none of them are that good. Yeah, no, I, 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 I don't, I'm not even bothered by that as much if the film had like kept the gags going, but yeah. the, it's just gags that don't work. And it's subjective, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm curious to know, listeners, like, are you the opposite? Do you think the end of this movie works better? <laughs> I haven't seen many people who say that the end of the film is very good. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I can take something with no substance and no plot if it keeps making me laugh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this one just doesn't do that for me in the end. I mean, it, it, it's like a solid three out of five. Yep. Um, I wish it was higher, but I mean, like, the, the parts that I enjoy in this movie, I really, really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all those parts that we were just laughing ourselves silly oh, yeah. over during this recording, it just needed to keep that up. And it does seem like it either ran out of steam or it didn't know how to make the finale funny yeah or or maybe they were all just fucking tired and they were like let's finish this shit (laughs) you know what we're not union we've been working 22 hour days but yeah i mean that's that's student bodies everybody and uh if this is a first time watch for y'all like it was for us we hope y'all enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and this is something that you did watch at us on usa up all night back in the late 80s early 90s um by all means, uh, share some stories. Yeah, tell us what your favorite USA Up All Night film was. Oh my god, please make it have a fun name. <laughs> make it, make it have a fun name. Yes, change the name if need be, but make <laughs> it funny. Uh, um, well, I mean, anything else to say about Student Bodies, Joe, before we sign off? This movie made me hot. Oh my god, you really latched on to that gag. <laughs> yeah, it's just a good recurring gig. Fine, <laughs> click. No, that's fair. That's totally fair. Oh, man. Yeah, I I'm an, I, I think we're pretty much on equal footing with this film, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, of course, we have our standard housekeeping to get out of the get, well, get out of the way. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Uh, please also join our Facebook HorrorQueers group to hang out with other listeners. You can find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered or, you know, just use the podcast feed. That works, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also use our uh, watch our YouTube channel where we put our videos of us doing microqueers recordings, and those are... Um, hopefully fun to watch. Yeah, it's a lot of hand gestures. Yes, it is. <laughs> you can see us do things with our hands instead of listening to us not do things with our hands. Oh my god, I thought you were about to say ear holes again and I was going to fucking strangle you. <laughs> well, you just said it now. Uh, if you want even more content, please support our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We have crossed 500 patrons as of Ooh. now, which is really exciting, actually. I mean... Honestly, gobsmacking? Just, yes. wow, thank you so much. I think when we started this show two, uh, almost three years ago, we said, uh, like 500 patrons is like a pipe dream for us, and look at us now. There we go. But yes, you can find that at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, we are in August, so be sure to A, subscribe to the Patreon if you have not already, and B, listen to our episodes on The Boy Next Door, Old, the Nighthouse and Don't Breathe 2, and we'll also have an audio commentary on the first Don't Breathe to pair with Don't Breathe 2. Yeah, and just because now I'm feeling like really self-conscious that we were humble bragging about the number of people, uh, 
for you, if you sign up, we will cross 130 hours of extra content this month. So uh, that's your selling feature. It's it's not just us being assholes. It's that there's a lot of good stuff on there. I think we're allowed to be proud for one second about 500 patrons. But yes, you're, okay. you're correct. Okay. okay. <laughs> Walk that back. Um, but okay, moving on. Joe, what are we talking about next week? Ooh, we're doing another classic film trace. I'm excited because I think I've seen this. I've definitely seen parts of this. I have not seen this. Okay, we are going to do another Alfred Hitchcock film. And no, it's not Psycho. We're going to be talking about Rope. I'm really so. This is the 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 Warner movie, right? Like it's all it's made to look like one shot. Uh, yes, or it takes place in a single setting, or possibly both. I don't know, but y'all. I mean, again, it'll make it'll make a good pairing with our episode on Rebecca. So if you haven't listened to Rebecca or watched Rebecca, highly recommend a watching it because it's great Mm -hmm. and listening to the movie, uh, listening to the podcast. But. Yeah, now uh, there's, uh, from what I hear, some queer undertones in Mr. Rope. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're not firmly in Miss Danvers territory, but uh, this one we don't have to dig too under the surface. Okay, well, we'll see see what people say about that. (laughs) (laughs) But, everyone, until then, we can cross out student bodies. Fuck you. (laughs) Yes, and cross out horror queers. Click. Bitch, you can't even do the joke one last time. Fuck you. Oh, shit. Sorry. (laughs) You've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>